Good afternoon. This uh, hearing will come to order. Uh, I want to welcome the nominees. Uh, thank you for your past service, uh, for your willingness to serve uh, in the future, representing our nation to uh, North Macedonia, Ireland, and to Turkey. Uh, three, I, from my standpoint, to pretty, pretty important posts at this point in time. Uh, I know you have family and friends. I'll encourage you all in your opening statement to uh, recognize and introduce your, your family and friends. Uh, I'll ask that my written statement be entered in the record because we have two distinguished senators from Ohio that are here to introduce uh, Mr. Crawford. So I think without any further ado, why don't we do that so uh, you can move on with your day as well. So I'll start with Senator Portman. Great. Well, thank you, Chairman Johnson and Ranking Member Shaheen and Senator Menendez uh, for holding the hearing today. And as you say, we've got some vitally important roles to be filled, and, and one is Ireland. Along with my colleague, uh, Senator Brown, it's my honor to introduce Ed Crawford as the nominee to serve as ambassador to Ireland. Um, I'm happy to see that Mary is with us today too, his wife and his son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren. I, I know Ed uh, from his business work and, and civic participation from uh, many years of, of uh, interacting with him, but when I really got to know him well was in 2014 when I was asked to introduce him at a Mayo Society event. Um, every year they choose a person of the year and it's always somebody from the County Mayo. In this case, uh, they made a slight exception uh, because of Ed Crawford's incredible commitment to Ireland. And uh, that was special. And at that event, which was well attended by the Irish uh, American community in Cleveland, I had the honor of co-introducing Ed Crawford along with a young man named Colin, uh, who is his grandson, who is with us today. He was about three feet shorter then uh, but he was, he was uh, the, same, the same Colin, and uh, so I'm glad that Colin Crawford is with us here today, too. Uh, Mr. Chairman, you look at uh, Ed's biography, he's been president, CEO, or director of so many successful companies, philanthropic organizations. He's worked tirelessly to improve his community, not just by building his business from the ground up, but also uh, being very involved in the community and, and, again, providing great jobs for the people of Cleveland. He's very proud of his Irish-American heritage. As you might imagine, uh, having gotten the, the Mayo Society Award, uh, he's been involved with that. It was said uh, in 2016 that there were about 32 million Americans who claimed Irish heritage. Uh, I think half of them are in Cleveland, Ohio, and I think Ed knows most of them. Uh, he's really active in Irish-American civic groups, was a driving force behind the Irish Garden Club of Cleveland's uh, which is dedicated to preserving the magnificent Irish cultural garden, which some of you may have seen uh, when you uh, visited Cleveland. Ed was a founding member and served as its president. These affiliations represent just a small portion of his charitable work, so he's been so involved in the betterment of Cleveland, the people of Ohio, and has a track record to prove it. He's highly qualified. I'm confident he's the right person to serve as our ambassador to Ireland. Maybe more importantly, the Irish want him, and they're eager to get him there. In addition to his deep love of the country, he's got a keen business background. I think that'll be helpful in maintaining and deepening our economic relationships with Ireland in what could be some challenging times ahead. Uh, Brexit or no Brexit, it's going to be challenging. But if there is Brexit, um, Ireland will play a bigger and bigger role for the United States in so many respects, including in our economic relationship with Europe. It's got a dynamic, diverse economy already. We're their number one source of foreign direct investment, the United States of America. Uh, we're second in terms of our, our export goods. So Ireland and the United States have so many close economic ties, and, and as we navigate the challenges, again, associated with the future, I'm glad that someone of his acumen and relationship with the president 
uh, has the opportunity to be in that ambassadorial role should he be confirmed. There's a great deal to be said about the role of personal relationships in international diplomacy. Uh, I've certainly seen that in my experience, and I will say Ed Crawford also has the natural Irish gifts, uh, gift of gab, maybe I should say. Um, he gets along with people, having kissed the Blarney Stone a time or two in his travels. Um, he'll be instantly respected by the Irish, both for his background and intellect, but also his love of the country and em embracing uh, the, the Irish as, as he does. So. Again, I urge my colleagues to support this nomination here in the committee and on the Senate floor, and I'm pleased that he is willing to step up and serve his country. Thanks, thanks Senator Portman. Uh, Senator Brown. Um, thanks, Chairman Johnson, Ranking Member Shaheen, and Senator Menendez. Thank you. It's my pleasure uh, to join my friend Rob Portman today to introduce a fellow Clevelander, Ed Crawford, and also Mary and Matt at today's hearing to discuss his nomination to be ambassador to the Republic of Ireland. For 200 years, Irish Americans have been an integral part of the fabric of my home city of Cleveland. Ed's grandparents came from County Cork to the United States. Like so many immigrants, the Irish came for freedom, for safety, from political oppression, and from hunger. They came for opportunity for themselves, for their children, for their children's children. We should remember that some resented and opposed the, the arrival of Irish immigrants. Some politicians proclaimed that our country was full. Those naysayers were wrong then, those naysayers are wrong today. Cleveland, the state of Ohio, our nation benefited and, and prospered because of the industry, the initiative, and the faith brought by Irish immigrants. Mr. Crawford's life makes clear the Irish in Cleveland often succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. The first Irish immigrants who came to the city were mostly men who worked on the Erie Canal. They found work in the city's docks and on the canals traveling between Cleveland and Akron. They built families and prosperous lives on the east and west sides of Cleveland. They established civic organizations that fostered a sense of civic purpose and of community. Ed carried on that proud tradition. He's been an integral part of Cleveland's Irish American community in, in, in founding the Irish Garden Club and devoting time and energy towards the Irish Cultural Garden, one of the great places to visit in our great city. It's fitting we're holding Ed's hearing today, the day after the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Everyone in this room knows how important that agreement is and was, to the, was and is to the peace and prosperity of everyone in Northern Ireland and Ireland. Today it's more important than ever that we have a thoughtful, skilled ambassador in Dublin to negotiate the intricacies of our two countries' relationship, especially with the, US, with the UK poised to leave the European Union. We appreciate, Ed, your willingness to serve. Thank you. I'm always glad when a Clevelander state steps up and answers the call to service. Thank you. Thanks, Senator Brown and Senator Portman. Uh, as our former chairman used to say, you're welcome to stay, but just not sitting there. Uh, <laughs> with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Ranking Member Senator Shaheen. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, for, in the interest of time, I will also submit my opening statement for the record, but I would like to echo your comments about the importance of the three countries that these amb ambassadorial nominees have been um, asked to serve, not just Ireland and Turkey, which have been allies of the United States, but certainly North Macedonia, given the recent agreement with Greece, um, is on a trajectory which we hope will bring an end to both NATO and the European Union. So thank you all very much. Um, welcome to you and your families, and I look forward to hearing your statements. Thank you, Senator Shaheen. Uh, 
think we'll start with uh, Mr. Crawford. Uh, I don't think any further introduction is really necessary. I think uh, Senator Brown and Senator Portman did a, a pretty good job. I'm, I'm glad to see, I think when we met, you were wearing an orange tie. And I was a little disappointed. I see you've got the, the Irish green on there, so you, you look good in it. But uh, Mr. Mr. Crawford. Well, good afternoon, uh, Senator Johnson, uh, Senator Sheehan, Senator Mendez. Mendez uh, good afternoon, uh, members of the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, I'm honored to appear here before you today as President Trump's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Ireland. I'm grateful to the President for his nomination and the Security and Secretary Pompeo for his trust and confidence. If confirmed by the Senate, I will pledge to work closely with the members of the Foreign Relations Committee to advance U.S. interests and values in Ireland. At this time, I'd like to take an opportunity to thank my wife, Mary, from high school, as well as my son, Matthew, my daughter, Debbie, my grandchildren, Colin, Catherine, and Claire, better known in the family as the Three Bears. A few, a few thoughts on Ireland. Connection between the people of the United States and the people of Ireland is undeniable. Over 30 million Americans identify themselves having Irish heritage, more than 10% of the U.S. population. The United States has built, a hard, built on hard work and sacrifice of immigrants, like the Irish, who made significant contributions to the country and continue to serve as example for all of us today. From the time of the nation's founding, thousands of Irish men and women had come to America and have a lasting impact on the history and the development of our country. Ireland is also one of our most reliable trading partners. More than $138 million and growing in two-way trade in goods and service passes between the United States and Ireland each year. While adhering to a long-standing policy of military neutrality, Ireland continues to be a valuable partner in maintaining global security, protecting American interests aboard. I applaud our cooperation with the Irish government on strengthening Ireland's cybersecurity capacity to help safeguard U.S. companies and citizens located in Ireland. If confirmed, I will do everything I can to continue making progress in this area. The United States and Ireland have worked together through history to resolve conflicts and peace accord and prosperity. The United States views proudly its role in the events leading up to the Good Friday Agreement in 1998, ending years of strife and bloodshed in Northern Ireland. If confirmed, I would maintain the United States' firm commitment to Northern Ireland peace process. A few thoughts. Uh, our comments on Ed Crawford. In 1960, while I was attending John Carroll University night school, I started my first commercial effort, a company called Cleveland Steel Container, which manufactured five-gallon steel pails. The continuation of the enterprise today has grown the revenues to approximately $1.9 billion. Parker House currently operates manufacturing facilities in North America, Canada, Mexico, the Eurozone, China, India, and other countries. We employ over 7,500 individuals, 
This is not a high-tech business we're talking about. We manufacture products for trucks, autos, washing machines, aerospace, and many other production line components. We are very proud of our relationship with our factory employees. For example, in the, in the city of Conneaut, Ohio, we employ 300 factory workers. Conneaut has one McDonald's, no movie, just a racetrack. But there are 8,200 people living in Conneaut, Ohio. And the average time in service in those employees, we employ 300 people there. The average time in service in that facility is 15 years. We are very, very, very positive and feel great about the partnership we have as owners of the company and our employees. It's very important to us. It has been in the past and it will be in the future. The mere fact that they leave work each day, and I can only say this with, with my heart, that you know, that, you know, these people come, these 300 people come every single day and punch a time clock. It's 6.30 in the morning. They leave at 3.30 in the afternoon. And they have families. And they're, they need those jobs. They depend on those jobs. So, you know, they go home to their families. But we are, as a family, our family loves feeling commitment on both sides. It's important to us. And uh, I think we uh, did a great job with it. And why? Because they need us and we need them. It's a good thing. I've employed a lot of hourly employees for a very long time. I enjoy it. I like the factories. I'm an operating guy. I'm in the buildings. During my 58 years of building this company, I learned a great deal about people, problems, and opportunities. If I'm confirmed, I will bring this experience, knowledge, and enthusiasm to the post of the U.S. Ambassador to Ireland to strengthen the Irish relationship. Senators, my mother left Ireland in 1927, my father in 1925. Both came through Ellis Island's Irish immigrants. They would be very proud of what we have accomplished as a family and our need to serve America. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Crawford. As a, as a fellow manufacturer and entrepreneur, I have nothing but respect for what you've accomplished in your life. And again, thank you for your willingness to serve. Our next nominee is Ms. Kate Marie Burns. Ms. Burns is the President's nominee to be the Ambassador to North Macedonia. Ms. Burns is a career member of the State Department's Senior Foreign Service and currently serves as the Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Athens. Her previous service includes Deputy Permanent Representative to the U.S. Mission to the OSCE, as well as postings in Madrid, Afghanistan, and to NATO headquarters in Belgium. Ms. Burns is the recipient of the Secretary's Expeditionary Service Award and the United States Army Meritorious Civilian Service Award. She speaks Spanish, Hungarian, and Turkish. Ms. Burns. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Shaheen, and distinguished members of the committee, I am honored to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee for U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of North Macedonia. I deeply appreciate the trust and confidence the President and the Secretary of State have placed in me to represent the American people, and I hope to earn your trust as well. If confirmed, I pledge to work closely with you to advance our nation's interests in North Macedonia. Thank you for the opportunity to introduce my husband, retired U.S. Navy Captain Scott Gage, who is here with me today, and to thank him for his love and partnership. I would also like to thank all my family, beginning with my parents, Paul and Hope Burns. My father, a retired Foreign Service officer, with my mother's support, introduced my brothers, Paul Jr., Sean, and me to the rewards and challenges of this path of service, and their support continues to inspire my commitment. Over my 26-year career, I have worked in Washington and in Europe to build strong partners for the United States. 
As the Deputy Chief of Mission in Athens, I supported U.S.-Greece efforts to deepen regional stability and cooperation and encouraged Greece's leadership in its engagement with the Western Balkans, including North Macedonia. North Macedonia is on its chosen path to NATO and the European Union. Through the PRESPA agreement, the political leaders of North Macedonia and Greece overcame difficult historical issues by focusing on a future of progress. The United States supported the leaders on both sides who drove this process. Full implementation of the agreement is crucial to the region. External actors with malign intent are working against this progress in an effort to undermine the country and the confidence the people of North Macedonia have in their future. If confirmed, I will focus the work of the embassy on three priorities. First, we will promote stability through strong institutions. North Macedonia has made significant progress on updating its laws to advance reforms, including in the areas of judi excuse me, judicial independence, rule of law, and accountability. Its political leaders need to ensure these laws are thoroughly implemented, making real change to meet the standards of membership in both NATO and the EU, as well as the expectations of its citizens. Congress has made a lasting impact on North Macedonia's democratic reforms and economic development. If confirmed, I will ensure that this U.S. government collaboration continues and that U.S. resources are spent effectively in support of U.S. goals and priorities. Second, we will enhance security through partnership. As a future NATO ally, North Macedonia must meet its commitments. If confirmed, I will work with members of this committee to ensure that North Macedonia continues to be a strong and steadfast contributor to the security of the North Atlantic area. North Macedonia has contributed to international operations since 2002, deploying almost 4,000 soldiers. As our strong partner in the coalition to defeat ISIS, it set an important example for all members of the coalition in repatriating, prosecuting, and sentencing foreign terrorist fighters. Our soldiers also courageously fought alongside each other in Iraq and still do so today in Afghanistan. This year, over 1,000 U.S. troops will participate in exercises alongside North Macedonia's troops at the Krivoluk training area. If confirmed, I will look to expand our partnership efforts in order to counter threats from terrorism as well as malign actors who seek to disrupt and destabilize democratic systems. Third, we will foster prosperity through positive influence. North Macedonia will prosper by advancing human rights, diversity, inclusion, free media, and open markets. The United States will partner in building new opportunities for future generations through our Peace Corps, USAID, and other assistance programs, and through robust public diplomacy and people-to-people -people exchanges. There are prospects for U.S. firms to partner with North Macedonia. If confirmed, I will commit the U.S. Embassy in Skopje to help make these deals happen. Expanding ties between the United States and North Macedonia will foster a positive vision of a more prosperous and secure future and is our strongest weapon against global competitors. The outstanding embassy team in Skopje is dedicated to helping North Macedonia secure a positive future. I am eager to join them, if confirmed, to lead their efforts moving forward. I pledge to the committee that I will protect American interests, ensure the fair treatment of American citizens, and promote American values with every engagement I have with the government of North Macedonia and its people. Thank you for your time. I welcome your questions. Thank you, Ms. Burns. Our final nominee is the Honorable David Michael Satterfield. Mr. Satterfield is the President's nominee to be Ambassador to Turkey. Ambassador Satterfield is a career member of the State Department's Senior Foreign Service, has been the Acting Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs since 2017. Previously, he served as Director General of the Multinational Force and Observers in Rome, as Special Advisor to the Secretary of State for Libya, 
as Deputy Chief of Mission in Baghdad, as Ambassador to Lebanon. Ambassador Satterfield is a recipient of the Presidential Distinguished Executive Rank Award, the St Secretary of State's Distinguished Service Award, and the United States Department of the Army Outstanding Civilian Service Award. He speaks Arabic, French, and Italian. Mr. Sat Ambassador Satterfield. Chairman Johnson, Ranking Member Shaheen, Senators Menendez and Portman, thank you for the opportunity to come before you today as the President's nominee for Turkey. I'm grateful to the President, to Secretary Pompeo, for the confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, I look forward to continuing the close, consultative relationship I've had for many years with this committee. And with your permission, I will submit my full testimony for the record. Next month will mark 40 years of service for me with the U.S. government, almost entirely as a career foreign service officer. My focus has been the Middle East. That has meant my overseas assignments have largely been in unaccompanied critical threat posts. Beirut, Baghdad, Tripoli, Libya, the Sinai. I'm profoundly aware of the importance of family in today's foreign service and the separations that the requirements of that service entail for most of my colleagues. In this regard, I want to thank my spouse, Foreign Service Officer Elizabeth Fritchley, uh, for her love, understanding, and support through many separated assignments. She and our daughter, Mary Parker, are at post in Tel Aviv today, uh, but they are with me always in spirit. If confirmed, I will be going to Ankara at a complex and challenging moment. Today, Turkey fulfills key NATO roles in Afghanistan and Iraq, stands firm in support of Ukraine's territorial integrity, and it is critical to efforts to bring about a political solution to the Syrian conflict and the enduring defeat of ISIS. The Turkish people also merit recognition for their hosting of nearly four million Syrian refugees. Now, our interests extend beyond U.S. national security priorities. Turkey hosts more than 1,700 American companies, particularly in the aerospace, pharmaceutical, financial, and insurance services industry. Bilateral trade topped $20 billion in 2018, and Presidents Trump and Erdogan have pledged to significantly increase that trade relationship. Nevertheless, as this committee knows very well, the relationship faces profound challenges. By moving ahead with its purchase of the Russian S-400 missile defense system, and as Secretary Pompeo told this committee yesterday, Turkey puts its participation in the F-35 program at profound risk and faces sanctions under Katza. As Vice President Pence said on the occasion of NATO's 70th anniversary, Turkey must choose. Does it want to remain a critical partner in the most successful military alliance in history, or does it want to risk the security of that partnership by making such reckless decisions that undermine our alliance? If confirmed, I will press Turkey to make the right strategic choice. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, members of the committee, if confirmed, my highest priority, of course, will be the safety and security of American citizens in Turkey. And let me express in that regard the administration's appreciation to Congress and to this committee for your sustained efforts to help us achieve the release of Pastor Andrew Brunson. If confirmed, I will not rest until all of our people, including NASA physicist Dr. Serkan Goge, and Mission Turkey local employees are at home with their families and free. More broadly, the United States is troubled by the state of Turkish democracy 
and respect for individual freedoms in Turkey. Rebuilding confidence in the rule of law would go far towards expanding the potential, which Turkey very much has, for economic investment and partnership. If confirmed, I will work to challenge Turkey to uphold its domestic and international human rights commitments while pushing Turkey to live up in full to its status as a NATO ally. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, members of the committee, thank you again for the opportunity to testify today. I look forward to taking your questions. Thank you, Ambassador Satterfield. I'm, I'm going to be here for the duration of the hearing, so I'll, out of respect for my colleagues' time, and I do appreciate people showing up for the, the hearings, I'll defer it to uh, Senator Shaheen. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I want to begin with you, Mr. Crawford, because as I'm sure all of us have been following, the, the outcome of Brexit will have a, a direct impact on what happens with Ireland and whether there needs to be a hardened border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. I visited there when I was governor, and um, we visited both Ireland and Northern Ireland, and I can remember going through, going across that border at the time, and there were actually checkpoints. So you knew that you were going across. And so can you talk about how we should engage in the cross-border efforts to ensure continued peace and trade relations between Ireland and whatever happens with the outcome of Brexit? Senator, uh, it's unfortunate we have uh, two of our closest allies, EU and UK, in this situation. It's been going on for well over a year, results that were not anticipated. What's very important about this is also it has affected Ireland in very strange ways. But this is something I believe has to be settled by the two parties most concerned, and that is the EU and the UK. Westminster they have to work to the, get to this, solve this problem. I think our involvement in it is, from my viewpoint, is steadfast that they, we should let them work this problem out themselves. Um, do you not think we should weigh in publicly in a way that suggests that we hope they will work it out and urge them to do that so that um, they understand clearly that we think that's in everyone's best interest? Well, they, I think they realize they're in their best interest because we've made it very clear that uh, we are behind the, uh, the Good Friday Agreement. We've said that is where we stand. I think that's representative. I'm not a diplomat. You know, uh, I'm only a person that has limited information. You're about to be a diplomat if you get confirmed, well, I, so I, I it get will get be very important to... Yes, but have I answered your question? Um, I think I would say I hope that if you are confirmed, that you will um, make it very clear that we support the Good Friday agreements and that um, that should be maintained as part of any Brexit deal. Yes, I will do that. Thank you. Ms. Burns, you mentioned in your opening statement forces that are trying to continue to sow dissent within the Republic of North Macedonia in its efforts to look west towards the EU and NATO. Um, one of those countries that we have heard from, of course, is Russia. They tried to engineer a coup in Montenegro before it joined NATO. They have um, continued to sow dissent in other parts of the Western Balkans. So can, can you talk about what efforts you could 
encourage as ambassador that could help um, address those concerns? Thank you, Senator, for that question. Um, as you note, Russia does not share the same vision of Western integration uh, that we hold, uh, and is one that held by the people of North Macedonia. They do uh, seek to create divisions and distrust. Um, they were actively opposing the PRESPA agreement. They have uh, been vocal in their opposition to North Macedonia's accession to NATO, uh, often misrepresenting the facts. Uh, the embassy in Skopje worked very hard to present the truth, to present those facts, to work closely with the media that it would be free and fair in reporting on that. If confirmed, I would like to continue those efforts to make sure that we speak the truth, uh, that we support independent media, civil society voices uh, that speak the truth, uh, and also that we make very clear that our aspirations uh, match those of the people of North Macedonia, that we are in alignment in that respect, uh, and that what we're seeking is not only in U.S. strategic interests, but in the strategic interests of the country and the region. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I, I would like to applaud Prime Minister Zayev and Prime Minister Cyprus for their willingness to take stands that were difficult for them to reach an agreement. I think in the long term, it's going to be in the best interest of both countries. So... Um, Mr. Satterfield, obviously Turkey is, has been an important ally, but one where we have seen backsliding with respect to democracy. Um, as we discussed when you were in my office, they have um, the highest number of reporters imprisoned of any country in the world. They have just had recent elections that are now being contested by President Erdogan's party. So if... What should be the response of the United States and the embassy if President Erdogan is allowed to, to manipulate Istanbul's election results and is able to get an entirely new election? How do you think we should respond? Well, Senator, I will not uh, comment, of course, on a hypothetical, but I will tell you what our position is right now. Good. And will continue to be. A free, fair, and transparent electoral process is a fundamental pillar of any democracy. Turkey is a democracy. We look to that pillar, we look to that transparent process to be fully respected by all involved so that the will of those who went to the polls is acknowledged in terms of the results. We will be watching this as it unfolds over the days ahead very closely. Thank you. Um, I was pleased to hear in your opening statement that you mentioned not just Pastor Brunson, who I think was released because of the whole of government approach, the, the bipartisan effort that involved both Congress and the administration to try and um, pressure and urge Turkey to release him. And I was pleased to hear you talk about the other American citizens and the diplomatic officials who are currently in jail. Can you talk about what more you might be able to do as ambassador to urge Turkey to release those citizens and, and also any, any Turkish citizens that are being improperly jailed? Senator, we've made very clear uh, by our physical presence uh, in the court proceedings uh, for those who are part of our mission in Turkey and for our public engagement. Uh, indeed, the public engagement, not just the administration executive branch, but also of uh, this body, and of the House in registering that this is an important relationship for us with Turkey, but it's a relationship that can only flourish as it might 
if there is full respect, not just for democratic principles and practices in Turkey with respect to Turkish citizens, but also, of course, with respect to American citizens. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Portman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, so, Mr. Crawford, sometimes we have nominees come before us and they haven't had much opportunity to visit the countries they're being uh, selected for um, and therefore don't have familiarity with the people and the customs of those countries. Can you just talk briefly about uh, any trips you've made to Ireland and, and uh, any familiarity you have with, with Ireland? I've been to Ireland many, many times. Again, my mother and father were both born there, and I have lots of first cousins. Uh, I've been active there in the past uh, in a, a small business down in uh, Cork City. It employs 17 people. It's a distribution business, so I've had some contact with uh, the, the working persons or people. And, uh, but I think, again, my experience in building uh, our company uh, has given me the tools, I believe, to understand really the Irish. And if there's any change in this Brexit situation and Ireland becomes more important, I think uh, I'm able and will be able to contact uh, and get along with the Irish leadership as well as the Irish people. And I think I can be a very positive, positive force for the, for the goal which is to make the relationship stronger between Ireland and America. I have an industrial background and a manufacturing background, but I also have a business background. And it's a very important to Ireland and to America that we increase the trade to make this thing a better relationship between the two countries. And I think some of the background I have, but the, I love Ireland, it's a great place. And uh, I think I can play an important role there because my background, but my ability to bring some things to the table that will help enhance the relationship between America and Ireland. Excellent. Well, thank you. I think you're, I think you're right. And uh, I, I said earlier, the, the Irish want you too. I mean, the Irish are looking for an ambassador and, and uh, they've been very pleased uh, to have you step up. So, uh, Ms. Burns, uh, first of all, thank you to you and to your husband, uh, a Navy fighter pilot who's hanging out behind you there for your service to our country. And you've had some really interesting roles. You're going into a fascinating country at a time when it is, although a small country, really a microcosm of what's happening all throughout Eastern Central uh, Europe with regard to Russia. And specifically, um, the two issues that I want to talk to you about briefly are the dependency that they have on natural gas from Russia uh, and second is the referendum and what might happen with regard to the NATO ascendancy. Uh, with, with regard to the, the first question, it seems to me you have an opportunity while you're there to be sure that Russia doesn't do to Northern Macedonia what they've done to other countries in Eastern and Central Europe, which is to use their leverage by withholding access to natural gas unless certain other um, priorities of, of Russia were, were, were met and therefore enhancing their opportunity to receive other supplies. Have you thought about that? And specifically, what would you do as ambassador to encourage them to look to the West and maybe even to the United States for LNG? Thank you, Senator. Uh, as you note, North Macedonia does need to diversify its energy sources and routes. Uh, it also needs to develop a competitive, efficient, and transparent 
energy market and then to integrate its energy market into the region. Uh, right now, uh, there is only one pipeline for gas, and that gas comes from Russia, as you note. Uh, there is a, a projected project to build an interconnector with Greece uh, that would allow uh, North Macedonia not only to diversify its su supplies, um, but also to perhaps gasify other parts of the country that don't have that situation right now. Uh, another opportunity is in, uh, in the energy sector uh, as a result of a new energy law. Uh, with USAID assistance, the government passed a new energy law that will bring it in line with EU directives, including um, the common third energy package. Uh, we are also uh, looking to support uh, efforts uh, to reform uh, the energy market through uh, an incentive scheme. And if confirmed, I would like to continue that work, uh, not only uh, to create opportunities for the private sector to fully engage there, but in fact to engage some U.S. companies, uh, hopefully in bidding on some of those renewable energy projects. Uh, that's terrific, and I, I, I think that's an appropriate role for an ambassador to try to encourage them to look uh, to the West. On the PRESPA agreement and the, uh, the referendum on it last year, the, the Russians did what they have done in so many elections, including our own, and that's attempt through disinformation and propaganda to try to change the result. They weren't successful. But it was certainly uh, an eye-opener for a lot of smaller countries in, in, in the region. Are you aware of the Global Engagement Center at the State Department? Yes, Senator, I am aware of the Global Engagement Center. And in my current capacity in Greece, we have worked uh, on some proposals with them. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you know, we've been promoting this for the last several years. And we think it's part of the answer is to provide a pushback and have the U.S. government help countries like um, North Macedonia be able to respond. So I assume you'd be looking to them for some guidance as to how you could push back um, against that disinformation coming from Russia. Senator, yes, thank you. I've already looked into uh, possibilities for North Macedonia so that if I were confirmed, I'd be able to continue those projects, as well as projects that would help the broader region. So have the countries uh, in the Western Balkans, uh, including uh, in Southeast Europe, working together to combat uh, Russian misinformation and develop media that can provide an alternative source of information. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mr. Satterfield, uh, you're going into also a very interesting situation. Turkey persists in acquiring this Russian uh, S-400 system, uh, I think it's impossible for us to continue with the F-35 contract. I, I hate to see us uh, begin to distance ourselves further from Turkey because it's such a critical country and the past has been such a critical ally. But um, how, do you, how do you approach that issue? How, how would you effectively try to get the, uh, the Turks to see that it's in their interest to align, not just with us, with, with NATO and with NATO compatibility? Senator, what we do is what uh, the President, the Vice President, Secretary of State, Acting Secretary Shanahan, what, what all of you here in the Congress have done, which is to message the Turkish government at the highest levels, in public and privately, in the clearest possible terms, that if they proceed with the acquisition of the S-400, then they will not be able to participate in the F-35 program the program itself or receipt of the F-35 platforms, that there will be no Patriot sale if they acquire the S-400. Now, that message has been reinforced as clearly as it can be. It needs to continue to be reinforced. This would be a very unwise step from an immediate and a longer-term uh, perspective were the Turks indeed to go ahead with this decision. Uh, but we are doing everything in our power at every level available to us uh, to make quite clear what the consequences are, but also what the alternative is, which is an extraordinarily attractive 
uh, proposal for the Patriot sale. And broader compatibility with NATO, correct? And of course, absolute compatibility with NATO. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Menendez. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congratulations to all the nominees and your families. Uh, Ambassador Satafi, I was disappointed that you had to cancel your meeting with me, uh, which I would have looked forward to going through a series of things. So I'm going to, I came to the hearing to ask you them. Uh, Let me start off with, uh, do you acknowledge that from 1915 to 1923, nearly 1.5 million Armenian men, women and children were killed by the Ottoman Empire? Uh, We are certainly aware, Senator, of the facts of that atrocity. So you acknowledge it, is that correct? Uh, Yes, sir. And uh, do you acknowledge it as a genocide? Senator, the President has stated this is one of the most horrific atrocities in the 20th century, and I will abide by those remarks. Uh, It it undoubtedly is an atrocity. The question is, is it a genocide? Uh, Those remarks stand as a reflection of the U.S. government's position, sir. All right, so you won't tell me it's a genocide. Let me ask you this. Do you acknowledge that uh, in 1915 the Allied powers of England, France, and Russia jointly issued a statement explicitly charging for the first time ever another government of committing crimes against humanity and civilization? Uh, I'm a historian, sir, and uh, well aware of the events at that time. So you, so you acknowledge that fact. Do you acknowledge that Henry Morgenthau, the United States ambassador to the Ottoman Empire at the time, said that the Turkish government's deportation order for the Armenians was, quote, a death warrant to a whole race in a name which they made no particular, and in a way in which they made no particular attempt to conceal their discussions with him? I'm aware of that quote, sir. Thank you. Uh, so this is an uh, inartful dance that we do uh, as a, a nation in which we do not recognize the historical fact that even the U.S. Holocaust Museum, uh, which is a quasi-governmental entity, acknowledges the facts of the Armenian genocide, but we are incapable of mouthing uh, the comments uh, of an Armenian genocide. Uh, And uh, we cannot uh, ultimately uh, move to the future. We cannot uh, recognize the past as a simple reality. And so um, uh, I just bring to your attention that Senator Cruz, a member of this committee, and I, along with others, have introduced a resolution to ensure the foreign policy of the United States reflects appropriately the understanding and sensitivity and the reality of what was an Armenian genocide, and I commend it to your attention. Let me turn to the S-400. You've spoke about this quite a bit. Um, uh, I appreciate your comments, uh, but it is my hope, uh, and Mr. Chairman, I'd like to include in the record a uh, a op-ed that the chair and ranking member of this committee, myself and uh, Senator Risch, along with the chair and the ranking member of the Senate Foreign, uh, excuse me, of the Senate Armed Services Committee, wrote together Senator Risch and, and uh, I mean Senator Inhofe and Senator Reid, uh, in which basically we say Turkey must choose. I'd like it to be included in the record at this time. Without objection. Uh, I hope that President Erdogan uh, clearly understands uh, that the U.S. is not bluffing. I help write Katza. It's not a question of if; it's a question that it will face sanctions. Um, And if it does, which I don't seek, it's going to hit the Turkish economy hard. It's going to rattle international markets. It's going to scare away foreign direct investment. It's going to cripple Turkey's aerospace and defense industry. So uh, I expect that I can uh, rely upon you, if you are confirmed, 
to make it very sure to President Erdogan that he understands the risks and the implication of this deal in an unvarnished way? Without question, sir. Uh, I, let me turn to the question of uh, democratic black backsliding in Turkey. I'm alarmed by the rapid and sharp decline of human rights in Turkey. It's leading the world in the most jailed journalists. It, recently, Human Rights Watch reported Turkey is arbitrarily jailing hundreds of lawyers. Now, that's something that I expect from oppressive regimes like Tajikistan. I don't expect it from a NATO ally. Your written testimony makes notes of this trajectory, which is a good starting point, but what will you do specifically to engage the government of Turkey to reverse this trend, if confirmed? Senator, the U.S. mission in Turkey, all of our posts, have in their outreach, in their contacts, in their physical presence at certain proceedings, registered very clearly the United States supports a very different vision of how rights and liberties should be practiced in any democracy, including in Turkey. Uh, we have not hesitated to speak directly about our concerns to the most senior members of the Turkish government, and I assure you, if confirmed, I will continue to do so, as will the mission uh, in Turkey. Finally, this is less of a question, but more of a rejoinder to something you said that I, I agree with. Turkey continues to detain U.S. citizen and embassy employees, and I appreciate in your written testimony that you underline and confirm you'll uh, be clear with the government of Turkey this is unacceptable and to urge swift and fair resolution. Bogus charges against an essentially hostage-taking of U.S. citizen and mission employees is not what we expect of a NATO ally. And they should be very clear at understanding that this is another irritant in our relationship. You don't take our people and arbitrarily and capriciously jail them at the end of the day uh, and use them as hostages. It's just not acceptable anywhere in the world, and it's certainly not acceptable of a NATO ally. Let me turn to Mr. Crawford. Mr. Crawford, Tom Quinn is a pain in the neck. Uh, and so I, I agree. So, yeah, there we go. So we can agree on a little Irish humor there. Uh, so uh, if he came to me one more time about your nomination, you might have never had a hearing uh, at the rate he was going, but I'm glad you're here today. Uh, and I just want to say uh, I have been involved in Irish issues for a long time. In the 27 years I've been in Congress, I was one of the leaders of the ad hoc Irish caucus in the House of Representatives. We got Bill Clinton to give Jerry Adams his first visa to the United States to move away from the gun and the bomb and to follow a path of peace that ultimately led to the Good Friday Accords. And so there's a lot at stake here beyond the economic realities that we have with Ireland. There's a lot at stake if, in fact, we don't have a resolution, uh, a, a good resolution as it relates to Brexit. So I hope that you will be committed to making sure that we solidify whatever happens, the resolution of the Good Friday Accords, the commitment to our efforts for peace and justice in Northern Ireland. Do, you have that, do I have that commitment from you? Yes, I will. And I hope that you will commit to me that you will, in fact, meet before you leave to Ireland, if, com if, if confirmed, with American civil society leadership here? Yes, I will. Um, and finally, uh, I ask you to maintain a direct line with me as Ireland moves through this potentially uh, tumultuous uh, period of time. Do I have that commitment from you? Yes, I'd appreciate that opportunity. Thank you very much. Ms. Burns, I have questions for you, but since I'm going to see you in Greece, uh, I'll ask you there, but I'll submit them for the record. But primarily, I want to know how you'll be involved in following up on the accords that were reached in order to perform what we hope for Macedonia. I appreciate your career service. Senator Kane.
Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thanks to the witnesses. Uh, congratulations to Ambassador Satterfield and you, Ms. Burns, for a good long-standing careers of service in the State Department. And to you, Mr. Crawford, congratulations on the nomination with your family background. I know your family's particularly proud of this, and they ought to be. Um, my questions, uh, Ambassador Satterfield, are mostly going to be for you. Um, and I, other questions have been asked that I was going to. I really want to talk to you about the uh, Kurds. Um, so the, I, I sort of want to understand, and you have such expertise, the Turkish sort of set of equities and issues between the Turkish government and the Kurds. So in Turkey, there's sizable Kurdish population. Turkey has dealt with terrorist incidents by some Kurds, but there's massive amounts of the Kurdish population that's peaceful. There's Kurdish representatives in the Turkish uh, national legislature. I worry that sometimes in the effort to go after terrorist activities, Kurds more generally have been targeted who are peaceful, who are exercising their right in a democracy to form their own political parties and have representation. Then we get to the situation of the Kurds in northern Syria. The U.S. has, has partnered well with the Kurds to defeat ISIS. That's been incredibly important. That partnership has been a real flashpoint of tension between the United States and Turkey. I'm on the Armed Services Committee as well. Every time we have um, hearings with either CENTCOM or UCOM regional commands and we talk about Turkey and we talk about Syria, that we're always told this is one of the tough issues, toughest issues that they're trying to resolve, how to maintain a military alliance with Turkey, that NATO membership, the use of the air base in Adana that has been helpful to us in campaigning against ISIS, but the Turks have been very, very distraught over the relationships that we've had with the Kurds in northern Syria. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about domestic Turkish politics and the Kurds and the way we should understand what Turkey's legitimate concerns are and then possibly illegitimate, and then what you might do on the diplomatic front to work with our military leadership over the issue of the U.S. alliance with Kurds in northern Syria. Uh, Senator, with respect to the domestic uh, Kurdish issue, um, Turkey does indeed have legitimate concern over terror from the PKK. Uh, like Turkey, we regard the PKK as a foreign terrorist organization. And we have partnered with Turkey, we continue to partner with Turkey at, at many different levels and in an operational sense <clears throat> against that terrorist organization and their targeting of innocent Turks uh, throughout the country. Um, we have welcomed Turkish efforts uh, to integrate their Kurdish community as a whole into Turkish society. Uh, to respect and regard uh, Turkish culture uh, as part of Turkey in a broad sense. And positive steps had indeed been taken in that regard. Uh, but when it comes to the PKK and terror, we are in exactly the same position. There are quite legitimate Turkish concerns. To pivot to the Syrian issue, the mission of Jim Jeffrey uh, that has gone on now for the past uh, several months is to try to achieve several objectives in northeast Syria, along the Turkish border, and in partnership with uh, both Turkish government and also in consultation uh, with Syrian Democratic Forces, which are largely but not entirely Kurdish in their makeup. The objectives of that mission are several, but one of them is the protection of those partners who fought and died with and for us in the campaign against the Caliphate and continue to engage in what we might call the enduring campaign for the enduring defeat of ISIS in northeast Syria. Now that is a critical objective. 
and it can only be established in conjunction with negotiations with the Turks over how their legitimate security needs along that border, that long fraught border, can best be done. Uh, and I would praise uh, the Turkish government, its national security leadership, because they have given the time and the space to Ambassador Jeffrey uh, to proceed with these negotiations. And I will not in this forum uh, go into greater detail, but I certainly think the ability to achieve a success which meets all of the U.S. goals, protection of our partners in the SDF, the avoidance of a vacuum in northeast Syria into which with certainty Russia, Iran, and the Syrian regime would promptly move, the continuation of stabilization efforts and the enduring campaign against ISIS, all of those goals can be achieved. We hope they will be achieved in the near future. Thank you for that. And that, I think that will be a significant part of your work because it is certainly a, a military um, effort, but there's, uh, it's probably more diplomatic than it is defense or military. And I think that will be an important part of your work. One other question about Turkey. There has been reporting in the last few years that the administration has contemplated possibly in connection with the return of Pastor Brunson or in other instances just independently, uh, the return of the cleric Gulen, who is a U.S. resident to Turkey pursuant to the request of the Turkish government. Um, I, I'm sure I know the answer to this question, the way you're going to answer. My sense is we're a nation of laws, not men. There are laws about extradition, that if evidence is presented to the United States about anyone that is sufficient, for them to be extradited somewhere because they need to face responsibility in a lawful manner for their actions, that we will follow extradition laws. But we're not in the business of handing people over if there hasn't been a demonstration uh, that, that, that is sufficient for extradition. And that's been my understanding of the sort of legal position of this matter, the controversy with Clara Gulen, and I just want to understand if you agree with it as I have stated it. Uh, Senator, you have quite accurately stated uh, our position. Um, we have requirements uh, to meet judicial sufficiency standards under U.S. law. We welcome the provision from the government of Turkey, right. as we would with any government with whom we have an extradition treaty, uh, material that can contribute to a finding of that sufficiency. And we are continuing to engage the Turks and to ask for any additional information they may have. Great, thank you. I have no further questions. Mr. Chair, thanks. Thanks, Senator Kane. Uh, Ambassador Satterfield, I want to kind of follow up again the situation in Syria. Uh, and again, I don't really want to ask a hypothetical, but uh, you know, what is your assessment in terms of the long-term commitment of some type of coalition force in, in that buffer zone in order to protect the SDF, to provide the kind of stability? Is, is that going to require, I mean, years and years and years? Senator, your, your question really breaks into two different parts. The first is the ability to have a coalition. We do have a coalition. There are other boots on the ground apart from U.S. boots. There are today, and we very much believe there will be uh, looking through the rest of this year and into the future. That coalition, that ability to sustain those other boots on the ground is very much dependent on there being U.S. boots on the ground. Not in large numbers. That's not a requirement. But a U.S. presence is an essential component, as we hear from our coalition partners. How long does this campaign go on? I spoke with uh, Senator Kane on the enduring character 
of the efforts to achieve the lasting defeat, the permanent defeat of ISIS. I'd speak that way in terms of Iraq. I certainly would speak that way in terms of Northeast Syria. Um, and I cannot give you a, a time limit, a, a terminus ad quem to that campaign. ISIS is powerful. Its physical caliphate has been defeated. I can't color a map anymore and show you towns held by ISIS. But I assure you, in Northeast Syria as well as in Northern Iraq, ISIS as a brand, as a coherent entity, with funding and with arms, continues to be a challenge and a threat. And that will require coherent, strategically patient, sustained engagement to defeat. Uh, those of us that were over the Munich conference, we heard that loud and clear from coalition partners that it required a U.S. presence. And you know, a bunch of us were, were rather vocal publicly in terms of uh, uh, supporting that U.S. presence. Do you envision a point in time, though, where things stabilize to the point where other coalition partners can take that up and not necessarily have U.S. presence, or do you really think it's going to require that long term? We would very much like to see exactly the goal you just described, Mr. Chairman, achieved. That is a situation where stabilization efforts could have proceeded to the point where it is not necessary to have U.S. boots on ground, at least in a dwell status, and that others can take on this burden. That has been the whole thrust of our policy uh, for the past year and a half. Okay, well, it's good to hear that that would be the goal. Uh, Ms. Burns, because you're serving in Athens, you, you've seen, and now you're going over to North Macedonia, uh, you've seen both sides of that. Uh, really, you know, the Presper Agreement, uh, to those of us in America, if you take a look at that and go, well, it's, this is a dispute over a name, um, can you talk about really how deep-seated that problem was and the political courage it took on, on the leaders on both sides of those to reach that agreement? Thank you, Senator. As you know, this was an extremely difficult process on both sides uh, of the border for both countries. Um, North Macedonia has been unable to pursue its path towards Euro-Atlantic integration for years because of the failure to reach an agreement on the name issue. Uh, what the leaders uh, in both Skopje and Athens did uh, in terms of uh, coming together and working over a long period of time to come to an agreement to show that kind of political courage and vision and to focus on the future rather than on the past uh, was a tremendous diplomatic achievement. Uh, we encouraged that effort. Uh, we supported the leaders. Um, obviously, it was a UN-facilitated process, but it was really the leaders in both capitals that made that commitment uh, and then were able to deliver on what has been a historic agreement, and we think one that will bring uh, great stability uh, to the broader region. It's my hope that uh, success will breed success. We saw uh, Kosovo and, and Montenegro uh, resolve their border uh, dispute. Uh, now we've seen Greece and North Macedonia resolve that. You know, next up, Serbia, Kosovo, a uh, far more difficult problem. You know, one of my concerns is as we take a look at Brexit and the EU, uh, EU probably not uh, anytime soon looking at adding membership, but as, as you're well aware, in North Macedonia, the ascension to, the aspiring to, be it NATO or be it EU, leads to all kinds of positive reforms. It's, it's, it's that desire of their population that actually provides the political support to do the tough reforms that otherwise wouldn't be possible. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about uh, you know, an, another path? You know, obviously, we'll do everything, I'll do everything I can to make sure that uh, uh, North Macedonia is, we, you know, 
confirm that ascension here in the United States Senate. Uh, but just talk about you know, other nations that aspire for the, this type of membership, uh, what those paths could be. Thank you. Um, what I would say, and I thank you first of all for your support in this process, because North Macedonia will need our support uh, as it moves forward in both processes. Uh, with NATO accession, there are clear standards of membership that relate not only to the security contributions that North Macedonia would make as a future NATO ally, but the way that it organizes its security sector and its intelligence reform. So this has been a major focus, uh, not only of North Macedonia's government for some time, but of our U.S. assistance and support and coordination of that. Uh, we look forward to hopefully a very positive decision in June uh, from the EU to begin the accession negotiations with North Macedonia. That begins a process of opening and closing chapters that will help with the reform process, both by providing the framework, but also the impetus for moving some of those reforms, not just to passing the laws, but then to actually implementing them and seeing real change on the ground. And it is important for the people uh, in the country to see positive benefits of that cooperation soon. Uh, so the sooner that they can get started on that process, and again, our assistance is intended to coordinate not only with the efforts of the government of North Macedonia, but our EU allies and NATO partners uh, to make sure that we're all coordinating towards that effort. Mr. Crawford, as a business person, you understand the importance of tax rates. And uh, from my standpoint, I'm sure this could be disputed, but I think one of the success of the Ireland economy is they've recognized the fact that you want to keep business tax rates quite low. As a result, that has attracted an awful lot of investment. Uh, but that's also been an irritant to uh, Ireland's trading partners. Uh, can you just comment on that a little bit? The uh, Ireland's uh, lower tax rate, you know, that's uh, in place today, you know, uh, I don't really believe I have enough information available to me of, of quality to be able to give you an opinion on, on the currencies in that particular issue, because it's very, very complicated. Uh, the currencies keep changing all around Europe. The Brexit's put pressure on this whole situation, but uh, clearly, uh, if I'm confirmed, I'm going to support the current laws around it and support the business as it stands. And then people uh, with more responsibility and more authority and more information will change the rules, and I will play by those rules. Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, any other member have further questions? Well, then with that, again, I, I want to congratulate the nominees for uh, being nominated. Uh, thank you for your past service. Thank you for your willingness to serve. I want to thank the families as well. Uh, Ambassador Satterfield, uh, Ms. Burns, I certainly recognize you've already experienced that sacrifice. Uh, Ms. Crawford, you might as well. These are important positions, and uh, it is a family-level service and sacrifice. So again, uh, thank you all very much for your service and, and for appearing before our committee today. Uh, the hearing record will remain open for statements or questions until the close of business on Friday, April 12th. The hearing is adjourned.